can look on your insert and follow along. We'll be reading from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Uh, this is the passage that the sermon will be based on in a few moments when we get to that in our service. Um, so let's give our attention now to the holy and inerrant word of God. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Together. Our Heavenly Father, it is from your hand that all blessings flow. And you have blessed us in a great many ways. Um, we return now to you what, you what has come to us through your hands. Our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings. And we ask that you would use them in this world in a mighty way in order that the kingdom of darkness would be pushed back and your kingdom would be advanced among us, in order that the gospel would go out into all the world through word and deed. And Father, we pray that even now as we pray and plead with you for your gospel to go out into all the world, that your gospel would be proclaimed to us this morning. And so we pray as we approach your word that you would meet us where we are, specifically where we are. That you would meet us in our joy. That you would meet us in our anxiety. In our anger. In our comfort. In our triumphs. And even in our bitterness. We pray that you would stoop and meet us in our sorrow. And meet us in our comfort. Meet us in the very conflicts of our being. Uh, Meet us even in our hypocrisy. Meet us. Meet those of us who, at least on the outside, appear very, very good. And those of us who appear very, very bad. Father, we pray that you would stoop and meet us. And in doing so, that you would really remind us this morning that we're all the same. Despite what we may be feeling, despite the symptoms of brokenness in our lives, we are all far more broken than we can even imagine about ourselves. And so together we plead with you as we come to your word that you would show us Jesus. That you would make him clear to us. And that we would be reminded that broken as we are, far more than we can imagine in Jesus, at the same time, we are also far more loved, far more secure, and far more accepted than we could have ever dreamed possible. And we pray that this good news would change us from the inside out. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. 
at this time, the children, ages three to six, uh, you are dismissed to Children's Church. Uh, make your way to the back of the sanctuary. Um, the, uh, you know, we're taking a two-week break from our sermon series on the stories of the kingdom or what we've been looking at when we've been looking at the parables of Jesus in Luke's gospel. And we find ourselves this morning in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, that passage we read earlier. And we're here because if you missed the announcement uh, this morning, we are preparing ourselves to nominate the first diaconate at Grace Community Church. Um, is really, really exciting. And I, I want to help us prepare us for that. And we'll give you uh, more specific information about how to in- nominate as we go, in, in, in particular in two weeks. But, um, but I'm really excited about this today because I get to talk to you about the ministry of the church and how men who serve as deacons fit into that ministry of the church. Um, with that being said, we at least need to be a little bit honest at the front end. And that is, you know, immediately when some of you saw or heard that this is what we would be talking about, you were, you were thinking, that does not sound exciting at all. Um, you know, not exciting, boring church officers, the organization and structure of the church, big yawn, right? Um, and I get it, right? I totally get that. Um, and I'm not in the least bit offended if that's your first response. But I will be very, very disappointed if that's how you leave this morning. Because this is tremendously exciting, captivating, and thrilling even to consider this arm of ministry in the church and what it could be like here in this area through Grace Community Church. Some of you have heard me preach a number of times. You know that this is a little unusual for me. I'm just going to jump right in this morning without really any further introduction and get right at this passage. Um, so these are my three points that I want us to consider this morning as we look at Acts chapter 6. I want us to see a ministry in conflict, a ministry of word, and a ministry of deed, right? See, okay, now listen, I've got to do a little work. In those first two points, a ministry of conflict and a ministry of word, um, in order to set the stage for you and really talk about where the office of deacon comes from and really how it fits into the whole ministry of the church. And so hopefully, as we go through those first two points, it will really help you by the time we get to that third point to understand a ministry of deed, a ministry of deed, which is really what the office of deacon is all about. Okay, so first, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, they, they give us a picture of a ministry and of a church in conflict. I mean, how about this for a, a very earthy, real, authentic picture of the very first church in the New Testament, right? I mean, he, Luke is writing about the first church after Jesus' resurrection. And he doesn't give us a picture of a bunch of, you know, people with plastic smiles. Everything's nice. Everything's great. Rosy, perfect, all that kind of stuff. He gives us a picture of the first church. And it is messy. And it's a bumpy ride, right? It, there's hurt feelings and needs are getting neglected. And people are complaining. And ministry's not being effective. And balls are getting dropped. And the church is in conflict, right? That's the background for this story in Acts chapter 6, right? A group of widows, their very real, physical, tangible, felt needs 
were being neglected by the ministry of the church. Someone needed to be served. Now, listen, don't get thrown by this talk in verse 2 where it talks about serving tables, right? That's a very literal translation of the Greek word diakonane, right? Which is where we get our word for deacon, right, in the church. Now, the point that it's making is we need real, practical, sacrificial, tangible, get your hands dirty, get your hands in the mess in serving the needs of others. That's the conflict in view, right? People were in need, and their needs were were not being served. Now, there's a lot that we could say in in this first point, and I'm going to throw a bunch of it out, because I really do think that for us, the most important thing this morning is is really to see see something more than just the conflict. See, we need to see that a conflict arose in the church is it because of an assumption? A conflict arose in the church because of an assumption. And that assumption was that the ministry of the church should be dealing with the real, practical, physical, felt needs of people. That's important. Right? Widows weren't getting their needs met. And that wasn't right. It, not right that redemption wasn't being applied to those very real needs, those very tangible needs. Do you see, the assumption was that gospel ministry should have an impact on every area of life. That if the gospel is true, the church should be getting its hands dirty with real, practical, sacrificial service of hurting people. That the healing, reconciling, right, redeeming ministry of the church should be touching every corner and every aspect of our lives. Here's what the church understood. They understood that it was called to a robust ministry of word and deed. That's what verses 2 through 4 are all about. They had to build a ministry that was applying redemption to every aspect of life. And, the, and listen, the entire ministry of the church, this is what Acts chapter 6 is saying here. The entire ministry of the church, word and deed, suffered. And I'm telling you this morning, the entire ministry of Grace Community Church will suffer and will not be effective unless we see that we, we are geared towards a ministry that is both word and deed. See, the way forward for them, for the early church and for us, was structure, was shape, right? To bring healing, redemption, and reconciliation to bear on every part of life, they needed a structure that facilitated that. A structure was needed to channel that flow of ministry to every part of life. In 1996, the Summer Olympics were held in Atlanta, Georgia. Remember that? Um, and during the Summer Olympics, you know, they have a lot of different events. One of the events that they always hold in the Summer Olympics are, are the kayak slalom races or the canoe slalom races. And those races were actually held here in Tennessee uh, during that Summer Olympics. They were held on the Upper Ocoee River. And um, listen, the only reason I remember that little fact is because the course for these kayak races, it was built in a dried-up riverbed of the Ocoee River. 
right? See, the riverbed had dried up because in the 40s, the TVA had come in and they had dammed off the Ocoee River and it dried up that riverbed. And so, you know, they, they, they turned that, that riverbed into the kayak slalom race. Um, but it wasn't just that they said, oh, okay, we'll, we'll open up the dam and there you go. Kayak, kayak races go, you, you know, they didn't do that. Um, it wasn't just voila, there's water. Now you have a kayak race. They came in and they took that riverbed and they narrowed it by two thirds. And then they came in and they put a bunch of cement boulders and other structures in place, right? Because they had to just, they had to channel that water just so to make it fast enough to have the right amount of eddies and drops and all that, whatever kayak stuff, right? They, they made And they made a huge deal about this when the Olympics were on. And the reason they made a big deal about it was because it was the only in-river kayak course ever used in the Olympics. You remember back when we had the Olympics in London, right? You might have seen that that kayak. It was totally man-made. Every other course has been entirely man-made. Now, listen, that little bit of trivia, you know, might help you out on Trivial Pursuit one day, I guess. But... you got to see why, why I'm bringing that up here, right? It was the only course where ex- the existing water in its flow was channeled and harnessed and directed to create the exact right slope and the exact right stream flow and, and all that stuff. Here is what God led the church to do. Yes, it, it's a structure. It's organization. But there's nothing boring about a church so simply but profoundly structured to release, to, to let go and release the total healing, transforming, and life-giving power of the gospel into the world. Right? If, if you could just dream a little bit into the future and think about that, about Grace Community Church's ministry shaped like this, the good that it will do for all of us, Sure. But what about the impact our church can have on this whole area as we gear up to bring the transforming power of the gospel to bear on every need, spiritual, emotional, physical, psychological, intellectual, relational. It's total. Right? Here's what happened when ministry was shaped to impact every aspect of life. You get the summary statement in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Right? An explosion of ministry when the gospel, not just in word, but also in deed, was given a structure to channel its flow into the world, to unleash its power into the world. Okay. Second, let me talk briefly with you about the ministry of the word then before we get to the ministry, come back and consider the ministry of deed and of the deacons. Because, see, that's a big part of what this story is all about in Acts chapter 6. Neither ministry, the ministry of word or deed, could be neglected. Right? The ministry, it was to be flowing in both directions. The ministry of word was to be holding hands with the ministry of deed. Right? Let me try and help you think about it like this. The ministry of deed, it is, it's aimed at and it's focused on the brokenness and the fallenness that you can see and feel in life, right? The hurting widow, the husband uh, and father who's struggling with addiction, the man who has lost his job and needs to keep the lights on 
for his family. The lonely and depressed mother. Those are real, like, you can feel it, you can see it, right? A ministry of deed or of the deacons, it takes aim at that kind of brokenness in the world. And it uses the resources of God's people to bring redemption to bear in those places. But the ministry of word is different. It takes aim at the brokenness that we often don't see and don't feel. That's often very easy for us to ignore in our lives. I've told you this before. I hate paper cuts, right? And it's not because you're going to bleed to death if you get a paper cut. That's not going to happen. It's not because the pain is so unbearable because you probably get a paper cut and probably don't even cry most of the time. Um, Here's why paper cuts are terrible. They're terrible because you almost always get them on one of your fingers, right? Because you're turning pages. And you almost forget about it most of the time. You almost forget about it. Until you reach your hand into a salty bag of potato chips. Or until you go to lunch this afternoon at McAllister's and you squeeze that lemon into your sweet tea. Or you use soap to wash your hands. And and that salt and that citric acid and that soap, it gets in there and it burns and it stings. So annoying. So annoying. But see, it's not that the salt or the citric acid or the soap, it didn't, that didn't wound you. It just reminded you that you had an open wound. It reminded you that you're cut. You long to forget that you're wounded. And it shows you that you're cut. And see, the ministry of the word is like that. It doesn't wound you, but it opens your eyes to the wounds that you are often trying to ignore and forget and pretend don't exist in your life. The wounds you and I will constantly try and cover up with religious activity. The wounds that we will try, the wounds that you are constantly in your life trying to shift the blame away from because you don't want to get poked there. You don't want anybody to touch you there. The walls you build to protect those wounds, to keep them from being aggravated, right? The ministry of the word comes to say hunger, thirst, alienation, bondage and captivity, poverty, sickness, Brokenness that is so easy to see in the physical world, right? The Bible comes to you. The Bible comes to you and says, yes, that's true. But there is also a hunger and a thirst and an alienation and a poverty deep inside of you. That you're trying to ignore doesn't doesn't exist. Now, listen, some of you and the ministry of the word puts its finger on that. It makes that burn and sting, right? And. I know that some of you, I'm willing to bet that some of you are thinking, I thought I would give church a try this morning, and now the preacher is reminding me of everything I hate about the ministry of the church, right? That it's digging, and it's prodding, and it's poking, and it's meddling, and it's, uh, I don't, I, all these things I love to, to ignore and pretend don't exist. And the church is harping on them in the ministry of the word. Fair enough. I, I totally get that and understand that. You know, who needs that? Who wants that? But listen, what does a good surgeon do for you? Right? To heal your broken, unseen sickness and injuries that you might have in your life, right? You know what he does, don't you, right? To repair that torn rotator cuff, right? To repair that that malfunctioning heart valve or do bypass surgery or to remove that tumor, right? 
He has got to inflict more. You pay him to inflict more damage upon you. More injury upon you. To cut you open and inflict more pain on your body. In order to heal you. And listen, I'm no doctor, right? I I didn't even stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Um, But I know this. I know this, right? Surgeons often use anesthesia when they do surgery. And the reason is because if you were laying on that table and you saw the scalpel coming at you, it would be totally reasonable, understandable, and natural for you to squirm and wiggle and do everything you could to get away from that knife. And can you imagine what a disaster that would be for you to squirm and wiggle under the knife? It would kill you. Look, every time you shift the blame, and every time you try to ignore it, this deep brokenness in your life, and every time you try to build walls of defensiveness or try to cover up your your brokenness with religiosity, you are squirming on the table of the surgeon. Jesus, he is the great surgeon. And he uses his word like a knife. Yes, to cut you. But he cuts you to heal you and to make you whole. You know, how could that possibly be healing to hear and be reminded of your deep spiritual brokenness? Bill Russell, he was a famous basketball player in the 50s and the 60s. There's a few of us here that are old enough to remember that. Um, you know who you are. Um, but listen, he. He played on 11 national championship teams, right? He won five MVP awards. He was elected to 12 NBA All-Star teams. Kind of a big deal, right? And um, in 2011, he was, uh, he was honored with the highest civilian award in the United States, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, right? And, and I watched this interview with him after he got that award, um, and it, it was obvious that that award meant so, so very much to him. You know, he was just glowing as they talked about it. And so the interview asked him if that was the greatest honor in his life. And you could kind of feel where the, the guy that asking the questions was going. He was, he was assuming that Bill Russell was going to say, yes, this trumps every basketball achievement in, in my life or, or something along those lines. But what came next was a little bit unexpected. And he said this, and I wrote it down. He said, no, it's a close second, though. A close second. Everything that he's achieved in life. And he said, he was about 75 or 76 when my father said to me one day, you know, I'm proud of you. And I'm proud that you're my son. And I'm, and I'm also just as proud that I'm your father. And I was watching that. And just like now, I started to tear up. <laughs> and you probably get that too. You understand it. Right? The ministry of the word, it comes. Listen. And it says, see how deeply broken you are. But the ministry of the word isn't about leaving you cut open on the table bleeding. Right? It says, look, look at Jesus. Because of what he has done in your place, you are not only broken, but you are loved. Greatest moment, greatest honor in the life of Bill Russell 
were the words of approval that he got from his father. And the reason it makes me tear up and the reason it makes you tear up is because you know how true that is. You know how deeply we long for words of approval. So how much more powerful then, let me ask you, how much more powerful then to know that the king of the universe, he looks at you through the sacrificial death and righteousness of his son in order that he might say to you, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. The ministry of the word reveals, reveals your brokenness to heal you, to speak deep, transformative, redemptive truth to you. Yes, you are broken. But you are also fully and completely loved and approved of in Jesus. That's the ministry of the word. Finally, then, we're going to say a little bit more about the ministry of deed. Because as wonderful as the ministry of word is, it is meant to be holding hands with the ministry of deed. Okay? Now, here's what I want us to do in, in this last little bit. I want you to think with me about the ministry of Jesus for a moment. Okay? Throughout the Gospels, we see that people were flocking to Jesus. They wanted to hear him preach. They wanted to hear him teach. The multitudes followed him around to hear him speak, right? About his father's kingdom. They were amazed at with what authority he spoke. The gospel writers are saying all the time, right? To hear him proclaim the good news, to call people to repent and believe and to have life in him. It was the ministry of the word, right? He was all the time exposing He was exposing the deep brokenness in our lives and calling people to turn and believe in him in order to be healed, to know that they're approved and accepted in him. But some of you know, it's okay if you you don't know this, but in the Gospels, right, there are tons of little summary statements about the ministry of Jesus. They're all over the place. And those little summary statements tell us that Jesus did more he had more to do than just a ministry of word. Here's an example. Matthew four twenty three, And Jesus went through all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That's the ministry of word, right? But it goes on. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. People didn't just flock to Jesus to hear him. They also flocked to Jesus to have their real needs met. To have him touch them and heal them. To turn back the hands of sickness and death and decay in their lives. Look, of course Jesus had an advantage. He was God in the flesh, right? He could touch somebody and heal them, right? Or he could heal them with a thought or just a word, whatever. So, you know, you read through the Gospels and you get all these miraculous stories of healing, of Jesus bringing Real-time redemption to real-time felt needs, right? The way he gave the blind their sight, the way he made the deaf to hear, the way he made the lame to walk, right? The way he stopped a woman's bleeding, the way he even raised the dead and healed the sick. All these stories, right, of his miracles. But let's take a step back from Jesus' miracles, won't you? (laughs) From every single miracle that Jesus did and is recorded for us. Because none of Jesus' miracles were like magic tricks meant to wow the crowds. You know, he wasn't doing... I mean, if he wanted to do that, 
He could have shot lightning from his fingertips or turned the mountains upside down or shot up into the air and flown. Harry Potter kind of stuff. He could have done that, right? But he didn't. Because every single one of his miracles was aimed not at wowing us, but about bringing redemption to our felt needs. His miracles were all about reversing and undoing the curse of the fall and the brokenness in the world. His ministry of deed was about bringing healing, redemption, reconciliation to every part of life. If you haven't seen the movie Slumdog Millionaire yet, you are way behind. It's like five years old. Um, And uh, I also tell you that because I'm about to ruin it if you haven't seen it. Um, But listen, in this movie... Um, if you've seen it, the, the main character, he's a young man named Jamal Malik, right? And he's an orphan from the slums of Mumbai in India, okay? And like most movies and stories, uh, the best stories, there's, there's something of a love story involved in it, right? Um, running through it. Jamal, he's in love with this girl named Latika, right? Who, who was also from the slums. And, and in the movie, you watch them grow up from childhood in the slums. And though they're in love, they just keep getting separated throughout the movie. They keep, keep getting separated, losing touch with each other and all this kind of stuff. And you watch their stories unfold. And you see the hard, harsh, and frightening and painful things that they endured in their lives. I mean, their lives were left with scars emotionally, sure, but also very, very literally. They had scars in their bodies from the things they endured. At the end of the movie, Jamal and Latika, they are finally reunited, right? And in a close-up, right, of Latika's face, you see this scar on her cheek left by a knife. This is the end of the movie. Jamal pulls Latika close, and he bends down, and he puts his lips right on that scar to kiss her. And immediately, if you've seen the movie, you know, immediately, the whole movie starts playing backwards. It's like somebody hit the rewind button on on your remote or your DVD player or whatever. Everything starts playing backwards. I'm not a film critic or anything like that, but I think that, I think it's pretty obvious what's going on. The director of that movie wants you to understand the healing power of that kiss. That it had the power to undo and rewrite her story. To heal her deeply and profoundly. What was Jesus doing when he walked this earth and he put his hands on the eyes of blind men? And put his his fingers in, in, in the stopped and deaf ears? What was he doing when he touched the leper and made the leper clean? Did you see... He was kissing our wounds and undoing the brokenness in our lives. And he was reversing the fall in this world. He was making what was broken whole. He was bringing order to chaos. He was healing what was wounded. And so here's the deal. Jesus is calling Grace Community Church to that kind of ministry. Not to neglect the ministry of the word, but to add to it a real, deep, profound, robust ministry of deed. To seek in every way we can to kiss the wounds of this place. Of people's lives in this community. 
to bring real healing to brokenness wherever it is found, emotionally, physically, socially, whatever. We need men set apart from us to do this kind of ministry. And can you dream a little bit about what kind of an impact we would have in a place like this if we lived like that and did ministry like that? Here's some very, very brief application for you as as we prepare to nominate men for this office. First, there are some of you that think that the ministry of word is more spiritual, more important, higher than, better than, whatever, the ministry of deed. Okay, to you I want to ask this question. Can you just think about how offensive that thought must be to Jesus? I mean, he came proclaiming the gospel and healing every disease and affliction among the people. There is nothing JV about this ministry. You know what I mean? It's not junior varsity. This is varsity. To do ministry of deed. And our ministry will always be incomplete at Grace Community Church without this. Second, when it comes to nominating men in a couple of weeks... Please do not do the really foolish thing of nominating good men to this office. Here's what I mean by that. Yes, you need to nominate good men to this office. But this is not a time for you to nominate that person that you think, oh, he's just a really good guy. I like him. This is not a time for you even to nominate someone just that you think is godly. Think about men who are gifted and geared to ministry that is, that is aimed at sacrificial service to real felt needs. Those are the men we need. And those men are in this congregation. We wouldn't be doing this if we didn't think these, the, these men are in this congregation. And the ministry of this church, when we do that, when we elect those men and put them in this office, it will really, this ministry will really start to move and explode when we see ourselves being released in the ministry of deed. Third, and I'm almost done here, think about yourself. Yes, this is a specific ministry of the church, but every single one of us in this room right now is called to this ministry in some way. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says, basically this, this is a paraphrase, a very close paraphrase, actually. Um, He says, here is how... I will know my followers because they give food to the hungry, because they give drink to the thirsty, because they clothe the naked, because they visit the sick and the prisoners, because they invite the strangers in. See, what are, I'm asking you this question. What are you doing? What is your family doing? What are you, what, in what specific ways are you right now working to reverse the curse of the fall and the brokenness in the lives that are around you? Find some specific ways for you and your family to actually get your hands dirty in this stuff. Fourth and finally, the ministry of word and deed, they are to be holding hands, as I said earlier. The ministry of the word gives fuel to the ministry of deed. But I need you to hear me say this too. The ministry of deed also gives fuel to the ministry of word. This is why the early church exploded in growth. When they were doing this. See, if, if, the ministry, if the ministry of the word comes to you 
And it reveals to you that you are so deeply broken, but also so deeply loved. You know, you know what that does? When, you, when you're living out of that kind of security, which is, by the way, the security all of you are desperately hungry for and longing for right now at this moment. If you get that, it doesn't turn you inward. It turns you outward. It sets you free. It moves you towards brokenness. Right? To kiss the wounds. And by the way, to kiss wounds, you can't do that from a distance. You have to get close. You have to touch it. Your hands have to get dirty with it to kiss those wounds. The ministry of the word sends you to it. But, but some of you also know this. This is a well-kept secret. That if you move out to do ministry of deed, you know what it does? It helps you understand Jesus better and better and better. Look, you, some of you have real testimonies of this. When you get involved in real brokenness, it takes you deeper into the ministry of the word. You will understand in deeper ways your own poverty, your own sickness, your own bondage when you get close to it. And you will therefore understand more and more the mercy and grace and the love of God the closer you get to brokenness, not the further away from it. Look, this is ex- I hope that lived. This needs this needs to excite you. It needs to thrill you. It needs to captivate you with wonder to dream about what this kind of ministry could do in this place. The one who calls us to this ministry of word and deed. He is the one who is faithful to equip us to it. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we fall before you appropriately at this time. Oh, because we can look at our lives and see the many, many ways that we have neglected the ministry of word and the ministry of deed in our lives. We can see all those different ways. We have tried just even this past week to wiggle and squirm under the knife that has come come to cut us, but also to heal us. We can see all those many times that we have turned a blind eye to the suffering around us and have avoided getting our hands dirty. Father, you have called us to a ministry of word and deed because your son came to us in word and deed to minister to us. And Father, we pray for this church. We pray for our future. We pray for what we will do in just a few weeks when we nominate men for this office. I pray, oh God, that you would you would lead us to nominate the right men, the men you would set apart to serve us and to serve this place in very real, tangible, tangible, physical and felt ways. Father, do this. Yes, for our good, because we know it. We we know that we are broken people who need this kind of ministry. But ultimately, we pray that you would do this for your glory in the world. That the world will look at us and seeing word and deed. They will see the wonderful good news of the gospel. And they would see what a difference it makes in this world. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen.